Yesterday, I was speaking to a salon owner who was frustrated that people just weren't getting her. She considers herself a soulful salon with a unique reflection of her core values in every aspect of her business. But as much as she's tried, her staff and her customers don't seem to get it. So how can we, as business owners, ensure that our messaging, our product development, and delivery match our why? And that's what we're talking about next on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that challenges small business owners and entrepreneurs, just like you, to dare to be the exception. Join our host, customer experience expert, Mark Hayne, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you script and direct your business and teams to create jaw-dropping experiences your customers and staff deserve. Here is the host of Experience Leadership, author of Lights, Camera, Action, customer experience expert, Mark Hayne. Welcome to this episode. This is where small business owners and entrepreneurs pick up core skill sets to help them create the jaw-dropping, show-stopping experience that their customers and their employees deserve. I am your host, service expert and master of experiences, Mark Hain, and I am so glad that you are here with me today. It is so great to have you here. I know that one of the biggest challenges and the biggest investments we make today is our time. So thank you for checking us out. My guest for this episode is business and brand strategist, Christina Alden, and We will be discussing three core values you need as a foundation to setting and establishing your business decision-making. So stay with us. If this is your first time with us, I invite you to check out the other videos on this channel. Each one is chock full of information and learnings that you can apply to your business featuring experts just like Christina, and it's absolutely invaluable. In the midst of crisis, we can truly see if we walk the talk of our values that we set for our businesses. The challenge is if we are incongruent, our employees feel it and our customers feel it. In fact, all our stakeholders feel it. So that brings me to our question of the day. How do you reinforce your core values with all your stakeholders? I'd love for you to be part of this conversation. Why don't you go ahead and share this episode on your favorite social media channel and hashtag it experienced leadership and put your comments and your suggestions and even your point of view on the post as well. As I mentioned, my guest today is business and brand strategist, Christina Alden. Christina is highly regarded for her approach to business, partnering with clients to find unique strategies that ensure that their goals are being met. Christina builds connections through her keynote addresses, training workshops, and technological education. She has sat on local and state boards supporting women in tech, entrepreneurship, mental health, and children with learning disabilities. She is the recipient of the Las Vegas Women in Tech Community Service Award, which is brilliant, and the Distinguished Woman of the Year Award in STEM, which is equally brilliant. Brilliant. Christina, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Hi, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. I'm happy to be here. Before we get into today's topic, could you dig a little bit deeper into how you serve your clients? You know, everything that I do is wrapped around emotional intelligence. 
emotional intelligence has 26 different traits. And so whether we're talking about leadership, whether we're talking about your team outputs, whether we're talking about your sales strategy, your marketing, your overall brand strategy, it all comes back to emotional intelligence. And that's my approach. So why do you think that this is such an important topic for today's world and the climate that we're in today? Well, you know, so much of it, when I say that there are 26 different facets, we're talking about empathy. We're talking about communication. We're talking about emotional awareness. We're talking about self-awareness. Those are just some of the facets of emotional intelligence. And as you can see, if we are going to be successful leaders, right, those are important traits to have, as well as if we're going to create a brand strategy that really connects with our audience and our ideal clients, well, then we're going to need to be able to empathize with them. We're going to need to be able to be aware of where their emotions are. We're going to be able to have to communicate that message as well, as you gave the example at the beginning, right? I get this a lot where people say, they just don't understand. Well, that that can be really expensive. (laughs) It can be really expensive to say that everyone around me just doesn't get it. You know, that's an expensive communication problem. A lot of times the big hot topic right now, especially my industry, I work in tech a lot, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And people really don't often like to hear this, but DE&I is often not a diversity problem. It's usually a communication problem. Mm, yes, so good. You mentioned the phrase emotional intelligence. Uh-huh. I know that you know people hear EQ, they hear emotional intelligence, they're, they're hearing all uh-huh. sorts of taglines around that. Could you just define for us what emotional intelligence yeah. actually is? You know, we're born with our IQ, right? Our our intellectual quotient. We're, we're born with that automatically. That is how we learn. That's our capacity. That is how we take in information. Our EQ also considers our intuition, how we feel about things. The cool thing about that is that our EQ can be shifted. Our, some people say EI, our emotional intelligence our emotional quotient, our EQ, can actually be cultivated more. And you can see the the posters behind me. In fact, this is my emotional intelligence uh, keynote that was live drawn on stage while I was delivering it. I do a workshop, I do a keynote, and I do several other trainings about how to improve our emotional intelligence, cultivate more of it in our lives. And you can do that by becoming more emotionally self-aware yourself, improving your communication, by building mentorship into how you put your own skills into the community, right? And so that's what emotional intelligence entails. And I help people, employees and leaders alike, to cultivate more of it so that you learn better, you connect better. And at the end of the day, all of that affects your bottom line because that's really what we're talking about, right? Yeah, at the end, it's all about at the end, making the sales and making the profit behind it and minimizing the expense. But to that point, this idea that when, well, part of it is I've talked to leaders who have a belief that they're emotionally intelligent, that they are tapped Uh into. How many times have you talked to a leader who says, no, I'm tapped into what's going on in my, and yet they don't know that they're getting it wrong. What are some of the signs that maybe they are getting this wrong? Some of the signs that you're getting it wrong are you're losing employees often. You have a high turnover, right? You're losing clients. We call that in tech, we call that like our churn or like your burn rate. Maybe you're really great at 
going out there, your sales team is rocking it, your marketing campaign really worked, you onboard a whole bunch of users for your app. And then it's like every three months, you're, these people are dropping off, they're dropping off, they're dropping off. These are really expensive problems and they can affect your bottom line. And so if you're not really understanding that and doing the market research up front, it doesn't matter how amazing your marketing campaigns are or how amazing your sales team is. Once they get onto your app or your website and they're using your product, people are going to go away because you didn't do that upfront market research where you really were asking nuanced questions to get into the minds of how your buyers were feeling at that time. You have to really understand, all right, where was the fulcrum at these little micro moments that happened that led you down the path on your customer journey to make that purchase or not make the purchase? And then once they're there, it's important to make sure you have these strategies to get feedback, not just with surveys, not just with polls, but actually to have nuanced conversations. And it goes the same internally as well. You have to have those conversations with your partners, with your employees, because your community partners, guess what? They're out there spreading your message. And so it's really important for you to drive and direct that message in a positive way. To your point, that they're spreading the message they have about you, whether or not it's in sync with what you want them to be talking about. That's exactly it. But, you know, you mentioned multiple times about customers. I believe that when we talk about customers, we have to also include employees. There are a lot of myths around now why people are becoming disengaged and why people leave. And so both employees and customers... What myths do you think need to be busted? What are some of the things you're hearing and you're just going, that's just not the case? Well, you know, a big part of it is people say there's this mass exodus right now, right? About how, oh, people just don't want to work. And in fact, that's not true. What we know about human behavior, remember, I'm the student of emotional intelligence. Like I, larger population, my degree, in fact, was in ecology and environmental sciences. So I've been studying systems and human behavior and how they move in those ecosystems for decades, right? And so when we think about human behavior, in fact, things that bring us happiness and joy are purpose. And so people want to know that there's purpose. I know brilliant technologists who are getting paid a lot of money and they will change jobs if they feel like their their work is not fulfilling, if their work is not helping, if the tech that they're building is just maybe pulling the lever, <laughs> uh, moving a toggle, that's not valuable. No amount of money that you can pay them is going to be fulfilling and keep them in that role. I just returned from Scottsdale, in fact, from the Executive Women's Forum. It's a cybersecurity conference. The top leading cybersecurity women in the country, fight Fortune or in the world even, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies. And we had this conversation about, it's not about the money. My staff needs to know that they're challenged. They need to know that they're respected. They need to know that they are actually working on technology that's making the world a better place. Otherwise, they leave and they'll leave for less money. It's not about the money. 
And there's a big shortage of people in cybersecurity right now. So this conversation was ongoing the entire week throughout the conference. It's amazing. Eh? And to your point, I know people, uh, peers who at some point got into, you know, they, the big thing when I was in college was programming, was getting into the right. IT business and programming. And when right. I talk to people who've been like 10 or 15 years into it, and they uh -huh. decide that they wanted to leave. I said, why do you leave? He goes, well, because I wanted to get into programming where I could get creative and solve problems. And most right. of the time, all I'm being done is being given code and told to fix it. Yeah. And and so they, they were going through this whole thing of they're there for a purpose, but the company mm -hmm. wasn't allowing them to be able to exude kind of their zone of genius. They want to thrive right? and people want purpose. Yes. And that's a big part of emotional intelligence, especially people who have that high EQ. Mm. They want to, you know, there are four parts to emotional intelligence, awareness of ourselves, awareness of others, management of self, management of others, which is really that community piece and how we're putting our skills back into the community. And so if you're hiring people who have a high emotional intelligence, then you're going to need to make sure that they have that piece through mentorship, through imparting their skills into the community, and also, you know, feeling like they're thriving and they're being challenged. And that they're a participant, right? <laughs> old legacy code over and over and over and over and over and over, yeah. and over again. <laughs> um, let, I, I know that your background is in predominantly IT, but let's talk yeah. a little bit about the price of churn, the price of yeah. losing these resources time and time again. Well, you know, I do talk about leadership and we talk about how 40% of managers actually don't even want to deal with these human problems, these communication problems. Like, we've all heard this, right? Oh, we're all adults here. Work it out. That's what they say. Or they say, when you look at the surveys, it's something like 87, 90% of managers think, oh, I have an open door policy. My people can come in and they can talk to me anytime they want. And in fact, you do the survey for the people and it's like 35%, right? So they have this false sense that they have an open door policy. No, our policy is just don't be a jerk, right? We've heard that before. I'm like, that doesn't work. In fact, you have to be specific because you have to define what a jerk looks like. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no communication back and forth. There's no accountability back and forth. And there's no way to solve that. And so what happens then is people become disenfranchised and you lose a lot of the really good people and you end up with people who maybe aren't so excited to be, be a, a contributing member of the company, right? Yeah, because yeah. people go, look, I've reported it multiple times. I've complained. I feel like now I'm being treated like a complainer and nothing's, nothing's happening. But the reality is that, again, the data tell us that 65% of managers have to, they spend 65% of their time on conflict at work. And so the managers, as we saw earlier, they don't want to deal with that conflict. So it's important for us as individuals to learn how to manage that. But also it's important as leaders to recognize you can't just say, I have an open door policy. Anybody can come see me. You have to be able to have anonymous reporting. You have to have asynchronous communication, both written and in you know video or phone through the web, have an anonymous web form, take surveys, take different kinds of polls, and have those one-on-ones with people 
at different levels. Because if your strategy for getting back feedback is once a year, we have a, a review, it's already too late. And then of course, you're going to hear like, people don't want to work and they're out of here. You know? Yeah. And, and people are going, I don't, I just don't know why. Could you just define, use the term asynchronous communication? Could you just define that for the audience? Yeah. So, you know, especially in the tech industry, the community, the industry fosters people who are neurodiverse. They foster people who might be on the autism spectrum, might be have ADHD. And not only that, but even just right now with people who've been suffering from COVID or people who are caretaking sick people at home or people who are under a lot of stress, what happens is we don't have a lot of what's called the working memory. We have six memory subsystems in our brains. And so that working memory is really short. And so asynchronous communication means we're going to have a spot to communicate these meetings, these meeting notes, or what was discussed in the getting the prerequisites, whatever that is, asynchronously. There's going to be a time for people, maybe they're later at home, finally the kids are put to bed, finally the person I'm caretaking has is resting, and I can actually now focus on my work. I want to open up a written document and communicate via text, put my notes in there, Maybe there's a video that's recorded of the meeting. It's a Zoom meeting. It's recorded. It's put into the company intranet. And then I can go in and I can write comments on the video later. So that's what I mean by asynchronous communication, especially with remote teams. We see this, right? If there's a 10-hour time zone difference or a 12-hour time zone difference, then it's going to make sense that we have the ability to communicate asynchronously when we can actually focus on that on that time for whatever reason for you know if it's a neurodivergent reason if it's a distracted reason if it's a i'm busy if it's a time zone reason there's so many different reasons and that's where a lot of this talks around diversity equity and inclusion come in yes and you know to your point i think you know when we hear dei we're all thinking about race but it goes much deeper it goes much deeper than that it's it goes you know into- even, even people who are, are subject to de and i and, and love de and i we we roll our eyes right because we're thinking oh gosh here's this conversation again about diversity right lots of times it's not a diversity issue it's a communication issue and i know people don't like to hear that but a lot of issues could be solved by having more communication for people that is inclusive, right? And so what happens is we send out the surveys, we send out the polls, we think we're doing a great job. We look at the data and we go, okay, 90% of people said this, so this is how we're gonna proceed. But only 10% answered the poll. <laughs> and the right, and the issue with that also is that there are, you know, 10% that are outliers. There's somebody who is hard of hearing. There's somebody who has a physical limitation. There is somebody who has a time zone limitation. We need to also include that subset into whatever we're building internally and externally as well. And, you know, whatever data that we're feeding the apps, whatever we're putting in, that's what it's going to put out. And so if we're only putting data in from one perspective or from 90%, we are excluding that other 10%. It takes more money. It takes more time. 
that's the reality. And so people want to push, push, push to just, no, this is the best. These are what most people want. Okay, cool. Except now we just excluded somebody who uses a cane and needs, needs to walk into, and now we've designed the entire building without a ramp for them. Or we've decided to design the accessible bathrooms on the second floor and make them go all the way up while everybody else, their, their bathrooms are on the first floor. These are the types of things that happen when we don't include the subsets of people. And it all comes down to communication. It all comes down to doing that upfront market research where we're having those nuanced conversations to really find out what led people down these decision paths. And if you're having those conversations, You'll walk out of them with, you know, about 15 to 20 actions that you need to take when you design your products, yeah. when you design your company, when you're designing your process. And your customer touch points. Feedback. I am loving this conversation, but we will be right back with more from Christina Alad. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with a new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Hain. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at markhain.com. Welcome back. I am speaking with the fabulous Christina Alden. We've talked a lot about kind of this overarching kind of understanding of the umbrella that we're under when it comes down to this idea of culture. Let's talk about the importance of establishing core values within our organization. Yeah, I always get it wrong, but I think it was Walt Disney who said, like, once you understand what your core values are, all the other decisions are easy from there, right? So for me, when I first started out with my consultancy, I'm a brand strategy consultant, speaker, trainer. When I first started out, I thought, you know, I would need to take on everybody. I would need to take on all the clients, do it, serve everybody, everything. And that actually didn't serve me all that well. It wasn't until I got down to my core values and really understood what I was about that I started then attracting similar clients with those same core values. And so let me tell you what that looked like for me. For me, I built my consultancy initially and my agency helping female entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs who were doing a lot of social good, who were very active in the community. That was important for me to amplify their voices. I became co-managing director for Girls in Tech Las Vegas and uh, really started plugging into that community as well and supporting other female business owners. Once that happened, I attracted other women who were all about the same, right? They wanted to lift each other up. We weren't seeing each other as competitors. We saw each other as collaborators. And when I started doing that, my work changed. The decisions that I made in taking on contracts changed because I would have a new client as I expanded my business from there as well. And I uh, hired a web development team because I was doing much more, many more of the sales and the community stuff. I started to look at these contracts and people who came in. And then I started to be able to decide, mm, this is probably not a good fit for us. Like, I don't want to build a website that isn't in alignment with our core values, that isn't going to lift up other people, that doesn't have a positive message, that 
that, you know, is maybe they're harmful to the environment. My background, again, is in ecology and environmental sciences. So that was always important for me too, right? And once I started making decisions based on those core values, it really helped me focus in. I stopped taking on just any client willy-nilly and then, you know, I'd have drama because there wasn't a good alignment or, you know, they weren't going to have the integrity to honor a contract and then I'd have to work with that. And so um, those core values are really important. So we have to think about that as a company. What are those core values? And then hire folks who are also in alignment with those core values because if I'm a company and I want to focus on speed of delivery over quality, but then I hire employees who focus on quality over speed, we're going to have some tension and we're going to have some really difficult times for product delivery. And, you know, to your point, it could be that the values that you you celebrate are really pretty weak values. A perfect example mm-hmm. is when I see in the mission statement about, you know, we will honor our stakeholders and support yeah. our, right? And, and they use words like employees and customers at the very end of their mission statement. Yeah. But the challenge, I think, is the incongruency. I think that we will attract people in our realm. So if you if you focus on stakeholder value mm-hmm. and stakeholder sure. return on investment, you're going to attract the people who are in that. But to your point, if you then bring in people who are purposeful and who are fighting for a bigger goal or a bigger outcome, you're going to end up with a lot of clashes. Twitter comes to mind. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Twitter is a hot mess right now. And so, you know, it's very interesting because they came on their new CEO and then they went and fired a whole bunch of people. And then within 24 hours, they invited a whole bunch of people back. Oh, yeah, we do need you. Oh, we do need you after all. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, in fact, the price is a lot higher now, right? And so it's really, really costly. And they were already losing advertisers because advertisers at companies, every single company, and this was already coming down the pipeline earlier in the year. They don't talk about that, but advertisers and companies have a very specific set of core values, their brand strategy, right? They have a branding guide, a style guide. Every single company has this. It talks about their mission, their core values, their tone, what kind of messaging that their brand is putting out. And if they see advertisers that aren't in alignment with that, then they're not going to spend their dollars there. And so this was already coming down the pipeline in April and May once the, the drama had started for the initial, the initial talks. And so people are acting like, oh, suddenly in just two days, all the advertisers are pulling out and this is a, well, in fact, that's not quite, you know, it's been kind of coming down the pipeline. And then alongside that, yes, if things aren't going to align with their brand strategy, then they are not allowed. It's in their, how their operations are. They're not allowed to advertise with other companies and that aren't in alignment with that. That's just how it goes across the board. Everybody has a style guide. Everybody has their brand strategy. And if they're not in alignment, you know, they're not going to go advertise and spend their advertising dollars on something that's incongruent with that. 
Yeah. Yes, Twitter is is struggling right now. Yeah. And the whole value proposition, and you know, one of for me, one of the kind of test modules for whether or not mm. people have their values intact is when things go horribly wrong. You know, if you say the customer is for, is your number one priority, but then when it comes down to responding to your customers, you blow them off right. and you don't you don't contend with that, then then we're going to lose market share all the time. And it really is. And I, I think we really saw this during the pandemic in March 2020. Mm-hmm. We saw all these organizations who were like, no, we're going to support our growth and development of our employees and da, 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 da. And then as soon as the lockdowns happen and people have to work from home, it's like, oh, how can we get software on their computers so we can monitor what they're doing? And that yeah. just created like this whole big divide between Absolutely. what you stand for and what are you walking Absolutely. Yeah, that's really it. I work with a lot of startups too. While I do, you know, corporate training, I work with with small businesses or or medium-sized companies as like their fractional CMO. And when when Tony Shea had invested his $350 million in downtown Las Vegas, we had the downtown project and we had a lot of startups born out of that. And so uh, one day, you know, I took a lot of meetings and did some advising and stuff. And one day I sat down as an example with a, um, a company that was building a health app. It was a web application that organized partners and vendors and everybody all in one spot. And I sat down and I said, well, this is a great company. I love your idea. You know, tell me a little bit about your core values. And she said, we value health. We value our employees, number one thing. And we really value putting out quality, secure software. And I said, okay, that's great. So how was your weekend? You know, are you sleeping? Are you startup life? You know? the grind. And she said, Oh my gosh, I'm really proud of our team. I'm so proud of our team because all weekend we just did this huge push. I'm exhausted. I've only slept like two or three hours a night. And I said, okay, so is everybody here? Cause you're going through the accelerate. No, we have employees here and then a couple remote. And then, you know, we have some people that just flew in just for the weekend, just to just really get down to it. But we got the launch done. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but you know, it's, it's good enough for our demo. And I said, okay, hold on. Let's just pause for a second. Because first you said employees are important. Then you told me that you didn't pay them for doing all of this extra work overtime over the weekend. Next, you said health is important. And you're telling me, you're looking at me and your eyes are bloodshot, you're exhausted, you haven't slept, your co-founder hasn't slept. And then the third thing is that you said quality, secure software. And how are you pushing out quality, secure software if you are, you know, just racing to get it out the door for this demo? And, you know, I have to wonder what kind of testing you did and things like that. And she paused and she's like, Oh yeah, you're right. I was like, at the operational level, at the very foundational level of your business, you are not living your core values. And that's going to show through your products, your employees, and also through your own performance, through your leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes somebody like yourself to be able to point that out. So to that point, how can people get in contact with you if what you're talking about is resonating with them and they might need a little help? I'm Lucky Girly Girl everywhere on the interweb. So it's L-U-C-K-Y-G-I-R-L-I-E, girl, Lucky Girly Girl everywhere. You can reach me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook. Well, if, as long as Twitter stays up for a while, <laughs> see what happens. I have my website. You can contact me through there and then, you know, through email. But I'm always available. I work, like I said, I'm an international speaker and trainer. So I'm happy to help. And anybody who's listening to this, I'm happy to give a free 30-minute 
consultation to your your viewers, your listeners. Love it. If, if they want, um, we can get a lot done in, in just 30 minutes. Sure. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. You know, it does seem to me more than anything else, the magic bullet here is really establishing trust. Yeah. That consistency really is how you're showing up all the time, how you're showing up consistently. And I'll leave you with this one little story. I was doing a little workshop here in Las Vegas and I was uh, speaking about LinkedIn and social media. And I stood up in front of the room and I said, they called me up and introduced me. I said, Hey everybody, good morning. And I did it. And I spoke and it was like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And I said, okay, are there any questions? And somebody raised his hand and he said, I have a question. Uh, do you get underestimated all the time? And I was like, what? I was really taken aback. And he said, because I was in a networking event with you last week and you sat in the back of the room, you were hunkered down, you didn't communicate, you didn't network, you left early. And I was like, oh, I just got called out, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so consistency is how you're showing up because the reality is you already have a brand, your company already has a brand. And the important part is to to drive that conversation. Yeah. And so really at the end, and again, I, I really st- kind of am challenged to ask this question, but how do mm-hmm. people know, how do organizations know when they've got it wrong? Yeah. Well, I can tell you, you know, when you've got it wrong, when people are leaving when you have a high churn rate for your customers, when people are calling in sick, if you find yourself like the, the story earlier where she was saying, I just don't, people don't get it. People don't get it. I had somebody, a startup tell me about how people just weren't getting her app. I mean, everybody does this. So we have to, it was, it was buying clothes. Everybody buys clothes all the time. People just don't get it. And I have to, if you have to teach people how to use it. If you're trying to change their behavior, then it's not working. You have to meet people where they are, understand what they want and what's going to motivate them to show up, to engage with your brand, employees, customers, you know, advertisers, as we're seeing in in Twitter, right? You have to understand, meet them where they are. And that's how you collaborate together and you co-create together. That's where the money is. If you're starting to try to change people's behavior and going, it's them. It's all them. <laughs> That's a good indicator that it's you. <laughs> and it proves the point that no matter how delusional you are, the result will be what the customers and your employees and your stakeholders are doing, not what you Always. believe in your mind. Always. Of, the numbers right? don't lie. And how many times have you run into an operator or a business person who goes, you know, I, they're just stupid. I just don't, I don't get it. Like, right. I remember reading a story about Microsoft ages ago when they were with the programmers and they would program all this stuff and the users weren't getting it. And they'd go onto the helpline yeah. and stuff. And the, all the programmers were like, people are just stupid. They're just stupid. People just don't get it. And so then they forced, to your point earlier on about this idea of the market study, they actually brought right. users into the room and had the programmers actually watch how people were using the software. That's and it was only then that they turned around and went, oh, okay. And so that's what happens a lot of times. We do this upfront market research. We have polls, we have surveys, and we think lots of times, though, those couldn't be leading. And so it's important to, you know, your UX researcher has to not lead the user as they're using things. So instead of saying, you know, the goal isn't to get them to put something into the shopping cart 
and have them add their credit card and then hit send. The goal is to get them to have their son's Christmas present delivered to the door by November 10th. Go. Then you just watch how they use the software, how they're putting it into the shopping cart. Oh, I see. It's because they're thinking this. Oh, they don't recognize the icon. The icon's not clear, maybe. And that's how we find these 15 to 20 little action steps that we can take out of those interviews and then go back to the drawing board with our product, with our services, and redesign the product and service to match the customer's behavior, to help them and meet them where they are. I love it. This is so, in your notes, this is what you defined as jobs to be done. And I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that before we end our podcast today, and we'll do that right after this. Attention, meeting and event planners. Is your company or association planning a live or virtual conference, seminar, staff retreat? Are you looking for a fresh, energetic perspective on what it takes to put on a jaw-dropping experience for your customers or staff? Book customer experience expert Mark Hain for your next group event. Past participants have said, Mark kept us in stitches while teaching us how important and powerful actually designing our customer experience can be. Read more testimonials and find out how Mark can serve you and your group at markhain.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-A-I-N-E.com. Welcome back. I am having a fabulous conversation with brand and business strategist, Christina Alden. As you can tell, Christina and I are absolutely passionate about serving business owners and managers just like you. So if you are listening to this and you're thinking, good golly, and yes, I know you said good golly, Mark and Christina, I need to train my leaders. I need to update and understand what I'm doing in my business. Then feel free to reach out to us for a quick discovery call. Our contact info is in the show notes. And Christina has offered 30 minutes discovery call to help you discuss whatever might be hurting you today. So what we've been talking about today really permeates into every facet of the business, doesn't it? Like it's not This is not a singular, oh, I'm losing staff or, oh, I'm losing customers. This is a huge umbrella. That's right. I give a talk called uh, user experience is at every level of business. And that's what we talk about. If you're sending your employees off to a conference and people go, hey, so how's work? How's it going over there? And they go, oh, gosh, you know, I just company X is just terrible. This is my manager. But that's your brand. That's, you know, that's your marketing, unfortunately. If you're doing the same thing with, you know, you're advertising in the wrong platform and people go, you're giving them money. You know, we see this with news stations sometimes on the TV and they'll, they'll pull someone's show if, if enough people complain about it. And so it's important to kind of understand that this permeates every single level of your business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, a perfect brand where that's happened now is Kanye. Oh, yes, that's right. It has permeated every aspect. And as much as he might get mad, it's, you know what? That is their choice. That is their ability to be able to do stuff like that. And so when you become incongruent, it's it's tough. Thing too is around mental health, which is another big thing for me. You know, I'm certified in mental health first aid for youth and for adults. And so before we move on, I just wanted to say that, you know, when somebody stands up, especially a celebrity stands up in front of people and says, I suffer with mental health issues. I haven't been taking my medication. I'm struggling in this area. I think the wrong thing to do is to 
shine a light on him and go, oh, let's watch him while he has a breakdown. Let's watch him while these these decisions are happening and while these probably not good decisions that are in his best interest are happening all over the place. Instead, maybe let's let's get him some help. And so I think I just wanted to say a quick a quick note about that as well. But yeah, um, yeah to move on, we were going to talk about jobs to be done. That was my next question. <laughs> Why don't we define yeah. jobs to be done and that kind of philosophy? Yeah. It's a new kind of uh, product management and product delivery tool methodology, I guess I would say. And so while I've only kind of dipped my toe into it, I have spoken to some really cool startups who are incredibly successful using this. And so what you do is you do a lot of upfront market research, which people don't often like to do, but it's important to interview in lengthy interviews, people who are going to be using the product, your customers, your clients, and have a a significant population of people that you're interviewing along with the surveys, along with the polls, but the surveys and the polls and the other kind of maybe Facebook ads or different kinds of input that you're taking in to get feedback from people, they don't give you the nuance of the conversations. And so what I mean is lengthy conversations, one hour, an hour and a half, it takes time. A lot of people don't like that. But if you have these conversations and you can kind of think about what that path was that led them along that journey. Okay, so lay this out for me, right? And we break it down. So you're having a conversation. So tell me, John, you were were there at the store. Yep, I was there at the store. And so what day was it? You might not think these details are important, but in fact, they are, right? Well, it was Sunday. Oh, okay, it was Sunday. So every Sunday we go to church and then we go to the thing. And then in this case... My wife wanted me to stop at the store. Okay, so there you were. You were at the store. Yeah, and so what? then you bought it. No, 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 no. I was walking. I had to get the taco ingredients. I couldn't, you know, I was late. The one kid was sick. I forgot the cough medicine. So this was the second time I was at the store. And you're starting to understand and really get into their head about, all right, they were in a stressful situation. They normally have a Sunday routine and this broke up their Sunday routine. They were also upset because they had to come back to the store. So already in those first few moments, we're getting right into the head of where that customer is at before they purchase the product in the store. Okay. All right. So tell me a little bit more. So you're walking through the store. You saw, well, yeah, you know, there was, there was a sign and it was on sale and I figured, well, you know, my wife has been bugging me. I had to get these other things already. It was on sale. Okay, so because it was on sale, you bought it. Well, no, no, it had been on the grocery list for a couple of months already. And I just kept forgetting about it because she told me and I didn't update the app of the grocery list. Oh, so now you're learning about your client. They're not a techie person. They don't keep their apps updated often. They are maybe not used to doing the shopping. Maybe the wife is used to doing the shopping instead. So you're getting all these data. And after you do, let's say, 20 of those interviews, and I know it's time consuming, but if you do about 20 of those interviews, you can find some patterns in there. And you can take out about 15 to 20 different actions, jobs to be done. Okay, look, this is what we need. We need to make sure that on Sundays, our product is at the forefront of the end cap. 
So it's easy to access and people don't have to look for it. We need to make sure that it has a sale sign on those Sundays because that was the additional trigger. We need to make sure that it doesn't have to, the person doesn't have to open up the app on their phone to get the coupon for it. Maybe we have a paper coupon. Maybe we have some coupons just sitting right there on the shelf even for them for the sale. And so you start to understand their behavior and what leads them down the path to that purchase and what's going to affect these tiny little fulcrums all along the way so that for them, they don't have to change their behavior. For them, it's seamless and just the entire customer experience as they go right down to putting their money into the bank. Yes. As you were talking, I had to write down emotions in narrative. Yes. Because it is, it's all those, the words that you were using, you know, it was frustrating when this happened. It was crazy that this happened and so on. And then, so what you're listening for really is those emotions and narrative, because that will be the terminology that will bond one respondent to the next respondent to the next respondent. Correct. And that's how we build these emotional triggers into our marketing campaigns when we're creating a brand strategy. And surveys and polls, you don't get that. You can sit people down and watch them use the experience. You can set up a fake marketplace and watch them go through the store and buy, but it's still not going to give you those data from the day-to-day use in or their emotional connection. And so that's really what makes that methodology, the jobs to be done methodology, very successful. We have talked about so much today, Christina. And I knew that this was going to happen when we first chatted months ago, a month ago. But as people yeah. are watching this, there are different aspects going on. Are there any cautionaries people should be aware of if they decide to jump on the bandwagon and say, okay, this month we're going to change? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Well, you know, depending on how large your organization is about shifting things, right? We know that startups are, are, are more agile and they can pivot a little bit easier. Maybe you have five people on your team. Okay. You can shift some things, right? Medium-sized companies, not so much. That's going to take some time. It's going to take about a year or so as we're moving things, shifting things. Maybe you even realize, wow, our logo doesn't show our core values. Our partner program doesn't show our core values. Just the reorganization of that, it's going to take some time. The interviewing all of the employees, what would they like to see more of? What would they like to see less of? What's driving their motivation to maybe it's purpose. Maybe it's more time with their families. Maybe it's setting their own schedule and they want to work remotely. Maybe it's that asynchronous communication we talked about. And then for large companies, it's going to take even longer. It takes about five years to really shift over a culture internally. You know, it can take about 18 to 24 months, depending on what the product is, to gather those data and shift the messaging for that product development that's already been launched, right? That's kind of the timelines that we're looking at. Once that's set, though, the money and the growth are exponential, right? We see this when in companies who win awards for employee engagement, for customer service, year after year after year, because once it's set, that's just how they do things. Yeah, mm-hmm. this has been such a great topic, Christina. Do you have any yeah. last thoughts about what we've been talking about today? You know, I have uh, always lately been telling people and reminding people because there are so many distractions in the world. I mean, just yesterday in the U.S. was was voting day. And so it's 
been really, really heavy and, and we've just been bombarded with things. We have people with this next wave of COVID that's been coming, right? We have a lot of loss. We have a lot of grief. And we have a lot of shifts that companies have had to make. Some people who uh, close their companies and are even going to work for larger corporations. I really just want to encourage people, everybody out there to just treat yourselves gently because that internal narrative and that, that dialogue that we have, that often drives our behavior. And so if we can just treat ourselves gently. This came from um, one of my good friends, uh, Nancy Gabriel. She's a fantastic mediator. And she always says to just tell yourself the truth in the kindest way possible. And if you can be gentle and forgiving with yourself, then you're going to be a lot more gentle and forgiving with others. And you're going to be able to give them the grace that maybe they need at this moment because we're all struggling. Yeah. Give them and yourself grace. And yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Christina, thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for sharing your passion and expertise with us today. Could you just remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you? Yes, you can get a hold of me by anywhere on the internet. It's Lucky Girly Girl. My website is luckygirlygirl.com. And of course, my company site, I work at Arana Software. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much again, Christina. Brilliant. Thanks. Why don't you let me know if this was of value to you? As always, my offer stands. If you would like 30 minutes of my time to brainstorm your business with you and your team, feel free to book a time that works for you on my online calendar. The link is in the show notes. It's the one that's marked meetwith.markhain.com. It would be my absolute honor for me to be of service to you. If you enjoyed today's episode, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to the channel and leave a comment or review. I'd really love to know your feedback. To Christina's point, we only know the feedback when you give it to us. And so was this a value to you? And do you have any other topics you would like to see on this channel? It has been so great being here with you. My name is Mark Hain. I hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com for a full directory of available episodes. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please share it and tell your friends about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please. Stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception. Mm -hmm.